Good. So for those of you that do not know who I am, um, my name is Cliff. I am the high school and college pastor at the Tabernacle in Chalmette. Um, I am really excited to be here. I have, I, I got some, some guys here, team no sleep where yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's weird to preach at a tabernacle and not have everyone have known me since I was born. So this is exciting. Um, I have, uh, I am 25 years old. I have a beautiful wife, Haley, right here. And two boys, one of them is not here because two-year-olds, yeah, yeah, I don't have to say anything else. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, Pastor Chris asked me, he's like, hey, you're preaching to Metairie. And I was like, oh, thanks for asking me. Um, and immediately I was really excited because, like, I know the people that I do know here are um, interesting. <laughs> and I was just really excited to get to come and and speak and just see what God is doing here because we're we're one church, but I mean we don't I don't get to see what God's doing here every week. I get to you know see like glimpses of it and I hear about it. But man, I'm telling you this morning there is just, it is thick in here. When I walked in this morning, we we came in and I opened the door and like I heard just straight Tasha Cobbs coming from the speakers, because they were praying to this is a move this morning. And I just want to congratulate you on the expectancy that y'all have. Because it's, it honestly, I, I, I'm not like a traveling speaker. I don't like go all over the place. But I've been to a lot of different churches. And expectancy is honestly rare. People don't really like fully, I guess, understand the God that we serve. And so they're not like ready for him to do something cool. So I just want to congratulate you on that, and I'm excited for what God's doing here. I believe that, that, that this is like literally just the beginning of the move that, that is coming here into this church, into this area. Um, so this morning, I, uh, when Pastor Chris asked me to speak here, I, um, I was, didn't know what, what I was going to preach. Didn't know. I was really confused. I even asked him. I said, so like, if I'm coming to preach, how should I preach? Because there's different people groups and there's different things that you preach and different ways you preach and and delivery styles and he said go and preach like don't teach don't don't try to like do like the cute like speaking stuff just go preach they like to be preached at and I said okay cool that I like that type of people so I was trying to figure out what I was going to preach I thought I had something I was like yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome and then last night of course because he likes to do that Last night, I was just flipping through my, my notes journal, looking, trying to find some notes from another message to help prepare for the one that I was going to do. And then I came across this, and immediately it, like, jumped off the page and was like, this is what you're preaching. So this message is called, Are You Still Counting the Cost? So I, uh, uh, back in December, there was, like, a meeting that came up, and I was not a youth pastor at the time, um, and... A meeting had to come up, and Pastor Jason, who's the youth pastor, he does the middle school at our church. Now, he was the youth pastor of the whole thing at the time. And Pastor Chris was like, hey, I need Jason in this meeting. Can you preach tonight? Again, a nice asking me to preach. He was like, hey, you're preaching tonight. Um, and so I didn't have anything. I didn't know what I was going to preach on. And the Lord gave me this message in like an hour, and it was great. And I just, as soon as I saw the title, 
I immediately knew that this is what the Lord wanted me to come here and say. Um, so before I get started, I just want to open up in prayer. I just want to say, so bow your heads with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the way that you are moving in here. Father, the way you are moving in people's lives, the way that you are changing lives in the way only you can. Lord, I pray that this morning, God, none of my own opinion, doctrine, theology, any of it comes out, Lord, that it's all you and none of me, and that every person under the sound of my voice would leave changed, wanting, and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, which we're in church, I hope you do. If you have your Bible, we're going to go to uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now, this is, I'm a worship leader, so this is one of my, like, my favorite passages of scripture, like, to just think about, because it's really, really good. It's, it's this woman that just gives everything to Jesus. So let's just read it real quick, real quick. This is chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So it says, six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Everybody knows Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Now he's not. The man that had been raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, that guy, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that the perfume was worth a year's wages. That's a lot of money. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus said, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So let's just take a second and kind of analyze this situation that's going on. So what's happening here? Jesus and his people are hanging out. This is Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, the disciples. This is like his people, right? Like his circle, his crew. They're hanging out. They're having a, they're celebrating Jesus. They're doing this in his honor and they're hanging out. And um, Jesus is there. The disciples were there, Mary and Martha were there, and Lazarus is there. Lazarus, the guy that was dead. That's not dead anymore. Just want make, I just want to stress. He was dead. Like, no pulse, no brain activity, no blood circulation. Like, they had already had the funeral. They had already done the, the, the celebration of life where everybody goes after and eats and, and has all the fun after a funeral. Okay, but, but they had already done all that. So, like, this dude was dead. Jesus shows up on the scene, and now he's not dead. It's a big deal. A lot of times we read scripture, we read over things, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's cool, he's dead. No, the dude was dead, and now he's not. I want to make sure you catch how big of a deal someone being dead and no longer being dead is, right? So Lazarus is there. Lazarus was dead for four days, wrapped up in the grave, and Jesus brought him back to life. In fact, all of these people had been changed by Jesus. They had been impacted. They had seen him do something incredible. They were, they were not just people who were like, oh, who is this guy? No, they knew him. They had seen him do incredible things. They had seen signs and wonders that we pray for, right? All of these people were changed by Jesus. All of these people were in a room 
They were in a room with an actual walking miracle. So not only did they see miracles, they're hanging out with one, right? They're hanging out with one. And uh, this is kind of off topic of message a little bit, but we're surrounded by people right now. Some of you are going to catch this. We're, we're in a room right now with people who were dead and are no longer dead. I could give the mic to the people that I know in here that I know were dead and are no longer dead, and they can share with you what Jesus did. So before I go into this message, and before I really get into this, I want you to keep, into, keep in mind that you are sitting in the room like these people were. You are sitting in the room with miracles. A lot of times we pray for, like, God to heal cancer. We pray for God to heal a broken leg. We pray for God to do these incredible things. But because we want to see these amazing miracles, and we, and we see these, these things that are incredible miracles. But really, the greatest miracle that is done is salvation. Just want to make that clear to you. Um, the greatest miracle that is done is salvation. And but the problem is often we act like a lot of the people in this room. We are with Jesus, but he's not really our focus. We're with him. We're in the room with a miracle. We're in the room with somebody that, that is just not the same as they were before Jesus. And we're like, cool, we're hanging out. Oh, Jesus is here. We're hanging out. Sometimes we treat church like that. We treat church like a social event, and Jesus happens to be there. Instead of going to church and getting with Jesus, oh, and there are people here that want him too. Cool. But what I want to talk about today is that there are three people in this room that I really want to focus on. Okay, there are three people that I really want to key in on. So the first person that I really want to talk about is Lazarus, because like I said before, I don't know if I've stressed this to you. He was dead. And now he's not. Again, that is a big deal, <laughs> right? He was dead. Now he's not. In the King James Version. When we read in verse 2, I'll read that verse 2 for you real quick. It says, A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Now, in the King James Version, it says that Lazarus was among those who sat with him. Now, if you look and you find the Greek word for the word sat, it actually means recline. He was in the room with the man that brought him back from the dead. And he was just chilling. It's funny. But how many people get brought back from the dead are in the room with the one that brought them back from the dead and just chill? We see so many people get saved. They get excited. They start running. They're gunning. They're doing it. Woo, I'm back from the dead. This is awesome. I'm alive. I'm alive. I haven't felt like this ever. This is incredible. And then we get comfortable. He was in the room with the man who brought him back from the dead, and he was just chilling. Many times we become like Lazarus. Jesus saves us. He gives us hope, peace, joy, and then we're good. All of our problems are solved. All of our, our basic needs become met. We don't feel terrible anymore. We're not addicted anymore. We're not bound anymore. We're not caught up in the life of sin that we were caught up in. So we're good. It, it, I, I just started, um, for those of you that don't know, none of you really do except my wife. I just started a uh, pool cleaning business recently. 
And one of the things that I've learned in the pool cleaning business is that a lot of the pool cleaning companies like get to a certain spot and then they're they don't really take any more business. They're good. They're like, all right, I got the money coming in. I'm good. I don't need anything else. That like literally half of my clients are people who have been dropped by pool companies that are just like, I have too many pools. I don't want to take any more on. As Christians, we get into a place where we're good. I don't need any more of him. I'm I'm set. What do I need more of him for? You need more of him because there's still a lot of you. But I'm not gonna. That's a different message. But many times we become like Lazarus. Jesus saves us, gives us hope, peace, and joy, and then we just chill. We get so comfortable in where we are, and we forget how valuable the person sitting right next to us is. How valuable the y'all. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who determines when nations rise and fall. The one that spoke and said, let there be light is in the room. He lives in you. And we just chilling. The next person that I want to talk to you about is everybody's favorite disciple, Judas. So we're going to go, this is in, I'm going to read verse 4 and 5 for you. It says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that the perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Judas was one of the 12. Judas is one of like the dudes. I remember when I was in youth and I was like 15, 16 or whatever, and you'd have like the guest speakers come in and they'd bring their like guys with them, right? They'd bring like their three dudes, three, and they'd be like, hey, this guy's single. You know, the, the stupid like youth pastor thing that they do. But, but they would come in and they'd have their guys with them. And I was like, dang, I want to be with those guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's cool. Like, yeah, like one day, you know, preaching at youth camp is going to be cool. But I want to be like the guy that like gets introduced by the guest speaker at youth camp, right? Well, that's what Judas was. Judas was like one of the guest speaker's guys. He traveled with him, went everywhere with him. He saw all of the works and the signs and the wonders. He was there watching Jesus do this. He was helping. He was helping Jesus in ministry. What? <laughs> he was actively serving in ministry with Jesus. Judas knew Jesus, saw him do amazing things. But when he saw Mary giving her most valuable possession, he thought, she was crazy. Judas started to measure the price of Mary's offering. Judas saw what the other person was giving Jesus and was like, that's too much. Now, despite Judas having been part of the ministry, Judas had been doing these things with Jesus. He was like, that's still a lot. What you doing there, sis? And, and, he began to, to measure the price of the offering. Judas said what Mary was giving up was too valuable, and he could have been used to do something for the kingdom. And what's funny is, like, people come up with these kind of excuses all the time. I, like I said, I'm a youth pastor, and I've heard kids say this to me before. Like, if I start reading my Bible in class or, like, in school, people are going to think I'm weird, and they're not going to want to talk to me, and I can't talk to them about Jesus, so I can't. Like, I'm not going to read my Bible. And I'm like, but that's not how this works. And a lot of times we come up with the same excuses. Man, if I talk about how great church was on, at work Monday morning, people are going to think I'm weird. People are going to don't want to hear that. And then if they ever have a problem, they're going to think I'm weird. They're not going to talk to me about the problems. And so the kingdom's not going to get advanced because I'm not advancing the kingdom. What? That, that, listen to what I just said. Judas basically said, hey, Mary, what you're doing right now, the purpose, like you're literally worshiping Jesus. You're giving Jesus glory and honor. 
It's what we're here to do. But what you're doing right now isn't, the be- isn't, isn't what you should be doing. There's another way to do it. We need to give it money to the kingdom. But this is the thing about, about what he says here. Uh, in verse 6, we see it. It says that not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. You see these excuses that we come up with about why we, we're not going to do this thing for Jesus or why we're not going to tell these people about Jesus isn't because we're, we're, we're altruistic and we have these good intentions. No, it's because we're selfish. And if I start actually telling people about Jesus, maybe my friends at work talk to me less. Maybe I don't get a promotion because my boss knows I'm a Christian and they, they're not a fan. And we try to put up this front of it's these good reasons. Oh, no, man, I'm just, I'm just taking it slow. I just don't want, I don't want to run them off. I don't want to be too aggressive. I don't want to force Jesus down their throat. But we don't ever say anything. We don't ever do anything. And then when the person in church starts bringing their friends to church, you start getting mad. Like, they're doing too much. That's not. Oh, and that religious spirit hits and says, oh, that, that's, not, that's not of God. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. But yet, they're bearing fruit, and you're stagnant. Judas said Mary was, what Mary was giving up was too valuable and could have been used to do something for the kingdom. Many times, we don't want to give those things to Jesus simply because we're selfish, because we want to keep them. I've heard so many people I, I'm like I said, I'm 25 years old. I've been in church for like 26 years, if you count my time as a fetus. Um, and so I've been around for a while. That is a quarter century. And and so I've seen a lot of things. I've heard so many people go, people really hate tithing. And I'm not on staff. I don't get paid from the church. So I'm going to talk to you about tithing. And if you say, well, he's doing it for the money, I don't get none of it. So you can't use that excuse. All right. So we're going to talk about it. All right. We'll talk about giving. We're going to talk about tithing. I've had people tell me, dude, how can you give 10% every check? How can you do that? That's crazy. You know, you could spend more time with your family and you could, you know, you could, if you'd save that 10%, you put it in a savings account, you could take your family on vacations. And you could, you could better equip your children for the ministry. Y'all, 10% is nothing. He gave everything. And the 90 that you, ha- that you get to keep is from him anyway. It belongs to him anyway. So 10% is really, really, really not a big ask. And like I said, I don't get paid. So I'm not asking for your money. I don't get any of it. <laughs> but but we, we, we start measuring up the price of people's offerings. We're saying, why are those people giving? They gave that much? Wait, what are you talking about? Wait, you hear over here a conversation. Somebody gave $2,000 to a couple, a young couple that's getting married. You gave what? You did what? What could you have done with that? No, you're just insecure because you're not giving. You're not doing what the Holy Spirit's convicting you to do. And so you're starting to point fingers like Judas was at Mary saying, why are you giving up so much? That's just real. People may say they want to hold on to things for a good reason, but it's actually just for selfish reasons. Now, the third person that I want to talk about in this is is Mary. Good old Mary. We're going to go to verse 3. It says, then Mary took 
A 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. The house was filled with the fragrance. So Mary was Lazarus's sister. So Mary was like, when, when Lazarus died, of all the people who were dealing, she was dealing, right? All the people who were hurting, Mary was hurting. So we see here that Mary had an understanding of what Jesus had done. Mary got it. It clicked. My brother was dead. And now he's not dead. Mary took the most valuable thing that she had and emptied it all on Jesus. Now, what I want to say, it says this is worth a year's wages. So let's just move it to today. I think like the average in median income in the nation is like 42000 a year, something like that. I want you to think about this. This perfume, if it were today, was worth $42,000. Now, for some people, maybe that's not a lot of money. For me, that's a lot of money, right? So what I want you to think is this perfume was that valuable. It was worth a year's wages. I guarantee you Mary had that stuff hidden away. I guarantee I don't know if they had safes in this time, but Mary probably had that sucker in a safe buried on the ground with some electric barbed wire fence around it because that stuff's valuable, Right? Mary had it hidden away. I guarantee you Mary did not let everyone see or let alone know she had this perfume. Because you tell the wrong person, oh, you're not going to get Mary's perfume. It's worth a year's wages. When Jesus was there, though, it didn't matter who was around. She wasted it all on him. She gave it all to Jesus. She gave it all to Jesus. And what I love about the scripture so much is I made a point of emphasis of saying it when I read it in verse 3. But it says that Mary took the 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, a year's wages, that's a lot of money, made from essence of nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it. Now, she didn't just put the perfume on his feet, right? There's another step to what her worship that she was doing, her offering that she was giving. And what's that next step? She used her hair. Now, this is this this right here is what I love about the story. If you in 1 Corinthians it says that a woman's hair is her glory, right? Literally in this time women wear their co hair coverings in public. When they're with a group of people, they would have their hair covered. Mary took the cover off and started to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And what's so incredible is when you when you work, look into the word in 1 Corinthians, the word glory, her hair is her glory. The word literally translates to dignity, glory, honor, and praise. Y'all, not only did this woman give Jesus her most valuable possession, the thing that cost the most, the thing that if she lost, she wouldn't know what to do without it because it was so important, it was so valuable, it was so rare. Not only did she give that, she gave Jesus her dignity. She didn't just give give Jesus her possessions. She didn't just give Jesus her work. She didn't just give Jesus. She literally gave Jesus her emotions. She gave Jesus who she was. Dignity is defined as self-esteem, 
self-worth, pride, and feelings. All of it. A lot of times we try to hold on to our self-worth and, and who we are, and, and we try to keep it, and we try to, you know, I'm, I'm this, and we, we try to r- remind ourselves, we try to stay confident in who we are. And, and the thing is, is Mary knew that, you know what, even if I give him my most expensive thing, I still got to give him more. He can have your life, he can have your money, he can have your job, he can have it all. He can have all that stuff. But if you're not giving him this, you're not giving him your heart, everything you're giving him is just, what is it for? Mary held nothing back from Jesus because she knew how amazing he was and what he had done for her. There's an old song. And uh, in the song, there's a line where the guy, um, he just, he starts speaking. And he, there's a line where he says, if you're still measuring out your offerings, you haven't seen his worth yet. I'll never forget the first time that I heard that, I broke. I just, I lost it. Because if you're still measuring out what you're willing to give Jesus, you have not seen his worth yet. Y'all. Jesus left his throne in heaven, came in the form of a baby, lived 33 years on this earth, being tempted in every way that we are tempted, facing every problem we can face, going through it all, yet he never sinned. He never gave in to that temptation. And then he wore and carried all of our sin on his shoulders. The Bible says that for the wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us in and of ourselves can get right with God. So God comes down in the form of a baby, lives for 33 years. And the thing is, guys, is, is like it says, um, it says that, that maybe someone would die for a good person. But I don't know about you, but outside of Jesus, I'm, I'm not a good person. If we just picked any three of the Ten Commandments, I'd done mess them all up. But he came down, died for us, shed his blood, and carried the sin that we committed, carried the shame that we were supposed to have, carried the pain, carried all of it. The penalty of our sin was upon him. And he died and rose from the grave, defeating death, hell, and every power of the enemy that would ever come against us. He said it is finished, and it is finished. When he got up out of that grave, there was no chance the enemy had. Y'all, the God that I'm talking about is Jesus. Jesus is the same God that we see that was sitting in this room. Jesus. Yet we measure out our offerings. If he asked us tomorrow to empty out your bank account and move to Ukraine to go help people, it's a crazy example. But if you're measuring out that offering, you haven't seen his worth yet. 
And I think a problem that I find in the church, I've said this, I've come to this realization recently, is that we've put so much emphasis on getting saved and our life getting better. Now, yes, your life can get better. But why Jesus came was not to make your life better. Jesus came to save you from eternal separation from God and to make a way for us that when we die and when eternity hits, that we can be made right with God and spend eternity with him. And so I don't, I don't care what he asks me for. I don't care what he tells me to do. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be fun. Not always. Sometimes it'll be fun. Youth camps are fun. I get to go to youth camps. They're great. But not all the time is it going to be fun. But if you're still measuring out your offerings, you have not seen his work yet. And so I have a question for you this morning is, which one of these three are you? Are you Lazarus? Can you say that, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen him move in my life. And I've seen him change me and, and do incredible things for me. But I'm kind of just chilling now. Maybe you're Judas, you're measuring out your offerings, you're measuring out other people's offerings, just because you're being selfish. We're in church, let's be honest. We're people, we do it. Maybe you're just saying, I just don't want to give that up yet. I just don't want to let that go. I don't know what I would do without it. Maybe you're Judas, maybe you're, maybe you're Mary. Maybe you're sold out for Jesus, all in, willing to give anything to him. We should all strive to have the heart of Mary here. And, and this is a quote that I have for y'all. If you say that you love Jesus, true love finds expression. True love finds a way to show love. If I told my wife, hey, I love you, I told her every day I'm so in love with you. You're incredible, Rachel. I love you so much. But I don't ever hang out with her. I sleep in my friends' houses. I don't go home. Oh, babe, I love you. See you later. I'm going again. Is that love? Because true love finds expression. If I love my wife, I'm going to let my wife know that I love her more than just by saying I love you. We find ourselves so often today, and, and it's not, I'm, I don't want to belittle anyone's issues. I don't want to belittle anyone's problems. And sometimes it's just, it's hard to express. You know, if your marriage is going through it, sometimes it's hard to, to go and, and show your wife that you love her or show your husband that you love him. Sometimes it's hard. But I can't look at my wife and say, I love you, and never express it. We can't look at Jesus, say, I love you not being expressing it we can't oh god i love you so much i love you so much the only time i'm ever going to talk to you is on sunday mornings god i love you so much i'll give you whatever you want you can we sing the songs you can have it all lord take it all away this all belongs to you jesus i surrender i surrender i surrender the only thing that you surrender is your sunday morning and i'm not here to condemn anyone i'm just here to let you know that if you love him, we have to be giving everything. 
And so this morning, what I want to ask you, you could, if I don't know if we can turn the lights down or, or what, but I just want to give everybody in here an opportunity that if, if, you're one, if you identify with one of these three people in this room, first we'll talk about, uh, about Lazarus. Lazarus, if, if, if you know Jesus has done something for you, he's, he's gotten you, he's grabbed you, he's saved you, but you've, you've kind of just been taking a step back and you've kind of been chilling and you can say, no, I haven't been doing enough. I haven't been showing him that I love him enough recently. I just want you to get up here and come out of your seat and let's just begin to pray and begin to ask the Lord to just, Lord, help me to give you more. Maybe it's Judas, you're measuring out the offerings that, that you, you know that you've been keeping things for selfish reasons or, or whatever it might be. I want you to come up here and just begin to lay those things down. Ask God to show you what you need to give him. And then maybe you're married. Maybe you're sold out for Jesus and you're willing to give anything to him. Come up here and ask him what else he wants. What we're going to do this morning is, is, is Nick's just going to play. He's going to begin to sing. And I just want to begin as, as a church to just begin to just say, Jesus, whatever you want. Because I truly believe when I was in here this morning, the presence of God that was in here this morning, y'all, this building ain't big enough. But until we have a heart like Mary, until the people in this room have a heart like Mary and say, Jesus, there's nothing too expensive. There's nothing that I hold too dear. She gave her dignity. And like King David said, I'll become even more undignified than this. There's nothing I'm not willing to give you. So this morning, if that's you, if you can say, Jesus, I'm willing to give you whatever. I want you to stand up. And we're just going to have, Nick's just going to sing. And I just want to begin to surrender. We're just going to begin to sing. I pour my love on you. I give you everything. Like oil upon your feet. Like wine for you to drink. I pour my love on you. Praises like perfume. If praises like perfume, I'd lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. Oh, I'll pour like oil upon your feet, like oil upon your feet, and like wine for you to drink. Like water from my heart, I'll pour my love on you. If praise is like perfume, I'll lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. Oh, I'll pour my like oil upon your feet, like oil upon your feet, and like wine for you to drink. Like water from my heart, I'll pour my love on you. If praise is like perfume, I'm going to lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. Oh, I'll pour my love on you. Gonna pour my love on you.
Jesus, 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 Jesus. Let us not take your presence for granted. Let us not take your presence for granted, God. Lord, I pray right now in this room, Father God, that you're giving us the heart like Mary had, God. That we would recognize who we are in the room with. And Lord, as we sing this next song, Father God, that you would just begin to release a broken spirit in this room, God, of people who are willing to give you anything. Who are willing to lay down anything or willing to pay any price because Jesus, you paid the price. Come on, I just want to take it to that room they were having that party and let's just begin to think. Sing, I'm caught up in your presence. Cause I'm caught up in your presence. Just like Mary, come on. Sing, I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. And I never want to leave. I'm not here for blessing. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Come on, tell him, Jesus, you don't owe me. Oh, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. So more than anything.